turning your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. Hey, let me just tell you this. My book, Random, my brand new book is coming out. It's a detective thing. I'm really proud of it. And there's a special offer we got for everybody where you get a hardcover book. I'll sign it for you. And you also get this chat book, which you never knew what that was, neither did I. But it's a short story book that's just for the people that buy in advance. Uh, and it comes with, it's really nice. They laid it out nice, made everything pretty. And you also get some dice and they got my name on them and they're, they're really cool. So all of it's really great. And Reddy's gonna edit in stuff so you can find it, but buy it, check it out. I, I'm pretty proud of it. I, I, I think you'll like it. I think it's a pretty good book and there's a really good deal. I had the uh, publisher make a good deal for Penn Sunday School people. So do it. So yeah, go to patreon.com slash pen. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash P-E-N-N for that. And while I'm here, I'd also like to mention, obviously we recorded these banks back before the Australia trip and before the Foolish production, which also puts us before the Ice Cream Social Scoop Fest with Brian Brushwood and a couple weeks before Gilbert Gottfried died. So there's a bit of otherwise unexplained time travel in here that is now explained. Enjoy the show. <laughs> Boy, but once you start eating chocolate, it's really hard to talk into the microphone. Yeah. Godot has no problem with it, right? No, I don't have any problem with that one. I ate the whole bar during the show. <laughs> and we got a second one right there. starting. You ready? Forget the chocolate. It's time to work. Now you know what you're talking about, so the introduction will be easy. I get, yeah. I can intro something. <laughs> Here we go. Brothers, sisters, siblings, welcome to Penn's Sunday School, starring Penn Gillette. My name is Michael Godot. Matt, Penn, Reddy, Rich, and I are broadcasting from Show Creator Studios South here in Las Vegas. And on today's show, we've got the headmaster of the Scam School Nation. It's podcaster, magician, friend, and associate Brian Brushwood. He'll teach us how to cheat on a bar bet, even though we don't gamble or drink. Here he is, preaching love. <laughs> Mr. Ben Gillette. Preaching love. We have Brian Brushwood here. And I got to tell you, I don't know you at all. I was just thinking I don't thinking know how... you from fucking Adam. I, I, but uh, Teller just fucking loves you. <laughs> he loves you. And Donnelly loves you. So, uh, uh, man, uh, like, like a duck. But you... I've avoided you. Uh, well, and, and <laughs> with good cause, because I haven't been ready. I feel like uh, it, t- it took t- uh, 26 years or however long. 19 years old. Uh, I uh, nothing was cooler t- to me than Penn and Teller drove three and a half hours out to Houston to see you guys. Um, uh, made a joke asking Teller to sign a three a club to my bastard son. He thought that was cute, and I asked him, "Hey, do you have one of these new email addresses?" And he said, "Well, I, I'm in between email services, but give me your email, and I'll reach out to you sometime." And I thought that was a very classy way to blow me off. <laughs> and uh, uh, I wrote him. Uh, I don't know. It's it's on the internet. You can find the letter, but it took three or four times before I just wrote a letter titled Fury, and the gist of which was, man, I'm 19, and I don't know my voice, and I don't want to be a pale imitation of you guys. You know, what uh, uh, What the fuck? And he wrote back uh, this four-and-a-half-page essay that just became this blueprint for the rest of my life. And uh, And then at the end of it, 
he was like, you know, it's good to hear from you, my bastard son. So that's been the running joke ever mm-hmm. since then. Uh, but uh, but uh, the wild part is he begins that letter saying he's 47 years old. And uh, and as of uh, two months ago, I'm 47 years old. Oh and so goodness. there's this other generation that's grown up watching me teach magic on YouTube uh, to the consternation of some magicians. Uh, but there's this wonderful parallel moment. And uh, I don't know, I, I'm... I am intimidated and thrilled and nervous and and excited as can be to be here. Teller has this, uh, I mean, Teller's a teacher. So Teller has this mentoring gene, uh, which I just am not good at. I don't even, uh, I, uh, I, I never feel, uh, I never feel good giving advice and I never feel good, um, uh, I just don't do that, you know? And I'll tell you, if you get a four-page letter from Teller, you know that he edited it a zillion <laughs> times. Yes. Teller will write a one-paragraph email to me, and then uh, he's edited it like 10 times. He's got, it's, it's like there's drafts of his emails saying, do you want to meet at Samba Latte? And, uh, you know, what would you like to drink? He does, he does draft three of that. And he also does, and this is like, I, I think pathetic on both our parts. He will write me long emails and then sometimes put in the RE, please actually read this. Because Teller knows <laughs> that I get emails from Teller and delete them without reading. Right. Uh, I have not got, I mean, uh, although this is popular misconception, I do not have a filter set that when I get an email from Teller, it just automatically goes into trash. I do skim them usually. Uh, my, my, my co-writer, Justin, on World's Greatest Con says that uh, Brian Brushwood replies come in two flavors, immediately and six months from now, Follow, <laughs> beginning with the phrase, oh, so sorry, just got to this. I'll tell you, uh, have either of you ever waited for an email return from me more than uh, 12 hours? Never. No, no, never. No. I, I, I reply very quickly and very briefly. Uh, and do you make it through it, all of them? Yes, I always have an empty inbox. Wow, my inbox is always empty. Not only at the end of every day, but I don't think there is uh, two hours that my inbox is not empty. See, I always fall into the trap of like, "Ooh, this is important. I should give this some thought." No, no, Which no. Is you, yeah. the basic rule is touch everything once? Yeah, touch every. That used to be in the paper days. That was like the one business thing I learned. I will not open an email unless I am prepared to be done with it. And I will not touch a piece of paper unless it's going to be the last time. So I like you'll, it. you'll see the subject come in and you'll know that, that when you open it, that's, that's it. That's right. the one thing. I also don't put that off either. I am what's called a procrastinator, <laughs> which is a, a dangerous thing too, right? which is I do things before I'm ready to do them. So if you, uh, if you uh, write me, and say, uh, for instance, the New York Times says, Glenn says they want a uh, an op-ed, you know, by next Monday about this subject. I start writing it right. before I know anything. Right, right, right. <laughs> you know, right away. And I always, I mean, I think there's probably exceptions to this. I can't think of one that I am not, um, if I have a deadline, I always try to do do it by half. Do, do you try to edit as you write or like, uh, for me, the best advice I ever got was turn off the monitor and, and just separate the jobs of editing and writing. Mm-hmm. Well, that's good. I, I was talking to, uh, Zoltan, my, uh, my, my younger teenager and, um, he was working on a, uh, 
uh, on a monologue with the other. And I was just saying, you write anything. Just type anything in there and then go in and fix it. But sometimes, see, this is the problem with the precrastinate. I often don't fix it. If you tell yourself you can edit it later, that whole thing about perfectionism being the enemy of... Uh, the perfect being the enemy of the good. good that's, yeah. that's a cliche. Um, the way to avoid that is to just think you're going to get to the perfect and then not bother. Right. That solves everything. And uh, so I, I really, really like to get things done. So when I, you know, my, I got a book coming out in September, and they give me a deadline for the edit, you know, you have to have this by the 1st of March and they get it by the middle of January. So then, and then I've got this trick that I've told people before. Uh, a lot of writers think, well, I don't want them to edit my shit too heavily. So what I'll do is I'll turn it at the last minute. Then they won't have time to edit it or I'll go past the deadline. That does not work because everybody does it. What you do is if you've got a deadline for March 1st, for instance, right. you say, I'm going to get this to you by February 15th, and uh, do me a favor. I will need all your comments so I can make all the changes on the 16th uh, because I'm busy the whole rest of the time. So, so, so I'm gonna, you flipped I'm the script. Flipped it entirely, and I will need all your comments within 12 hours, and then I'm happy to make all those changes. And they'll get <laughs> back and go, I couldn't really get to this. I just did a quick one, but that's fine the way it is. <clears throat> Beautiful. Does not work with the New York Times, but works with most other people. <laughs> New uh, York Times goes, we're going to fact check this shit. The, uh, uh, my daughter, is uh, she just turned 18, and something has finally clicked in her. She, didn't want to, she wants to write, but she doesn't want to write poorly. And I'm like, sweetheart, you don't understand. You must be bad in order to become good. Mm -hmm. So let's get, let's get hustling on that being bad. Well, that's the thing. The, the, your, your appreciation uh, and your taste... And your sophistication grows so much faster than your skill. Uh, there, there and was, that's horrible. Because you can, I mean, it's the guy from, um, who's the guy from uh, This American Life? Ira Glass. Yeah. Ira Glass has written about this really brilliantly. That you you get much more, you, you just keep getting more sophisticated in your taste and your skills can't yeah. possibly keep up I with tell it. people if you're going to do shows, you've got to start it when you're 16 years old and you have to do a million shows. Yeah. Because at 16, you'll still think you're good. Mm-hmm. If you start at 25, you'll go, I'm never going to be good. Yeah. You just so, won't do it. Uh, is it a value or a detriment to have a healthy dose of self-loathing as you go through this stuff? I don't know. I, I don't think it. I mean, there's such a celebration of the tortured artist, and I've, I've never, ever believed it. My favorite uh, filmmaker, you know, George Romero, who uh, did my favorite movie, Dawn of the Dead, uh, absolutely sweet happy guy, coaches Little League, fine, and puts all his sickness. You know, I, I forgot, I used to know who said this, but there was the idea that the artist should strive to live a uh, uh, completely normal, uh, normal, soft-spoken life and put all the craziness into the art. And I think there's a, I mean, you, you've got, you know, you've got Charles Bukowski and you've got, you know, you've got people who have had crazy lives. But you've also got the um, some of the best writers I know. Uh, you know, uh, Nicholson Baker is you know just a, a soft-spoken regular guy who puts all the craziness on the page. So I don't think I don't know about the self-loathing. Well, you know, Gilbert Gottfried, who I, I think is the the funniest man of my generation, Gilbert is very afraid. 
that if he gets rid of his craziness, he'll no longer be funny. And I don't think that's true. Lou Reed, when he got off uh, heroin, really sucked for like two or three albums and then did the best albums of his career. Uh, Bob Dylan, when he sobered up, did also his best work. Sometimes it takes a while. You know, sometimes there's a transition period where people get uh, get cleaned up. But I don't think uh, I don't think self loathing. Well, is and, and l- maybe, maybe oh, but I, also not self aggrandizing either. I just think you try to be accurate. Uh, maybe to rephrase with gentler terminology, uh, I, I find it very hard to figure out what's good. I find it very easy to figure out what's wrong with something. Mm-hmm. So so vomit something out create it and then say, what's wrong with this? And so you get like a, a a lot of these young magicians ask, uh, Hey, how do I figure out who I want to be? And I think of it like a Chinese buffet. If you walk into a Chinese buffet, I don't know what the best thing in there is, but I bet you can instantly point to three islands that you hate and are not going to go to and then start whittling it down. And you're like, Oh, turns out I want this, this, and that, that, that other thing. Well, the, the, the story that I love, uh, about, uh, about trying to find your voice is uh, Martin Mull uh, told me when he was uh, when he was uh, uh, teaching at RISD, Rhode Island School of Design, um, that a student came to the professor. He was teaching assistant. There was a professor came to the professor and said, "I I feel like I just want to be Van Gogh. Everything I want to paint, I want to be Van Gogh, and I'm I just can't find my own voice." And the professor said to him, "We have a Van Gogh here at RISD, and I'm going to allow you." I'm going to give you special permission to go in there every night and copy that Van Gogh. You copy it exactly, perfectly. And then when you're done, the difference between yours and Van Gogh's, that's your style. Yeah. Well, and I remember uh, the amazing Jonathan on on this program talking about how he was terrified that he had just ripped off all of Harry Anderson's act, and now Harry Anderson's in the audience, and Harry Anderson watched his act and didn't recognize it at all as being his act. You know, it's 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 amazing how your voice you can't stop your own voice from coming through. Right. Well, you can. Some people do. Those people that suck, they really do. I mean, there, there are some people that have... Um, Thank you, Penn. That, <laughs> that have absolutely uh, nothing. You know, I, I remember once I was on um, a radio show in uh, Chicago with some very successful uh, writers, you know, um, mystery writers. And there was, there was one writer who was saying, you know... Um, don't give up no matter what. That's the most important thing. Don't give up. Just keep going. Just do not give up. And I said, unless you suck, and then you should give up. You know, Charles Bukowski said that the best advice you could give to anybody was to tell them to quit and give up. Because if there's if there's anything that can talk you out of it, you should not be doing it. So you guys have had a fascinating career in that you have wandered fairly far afield from uh, uh, what we think of as the traditional magic show. Uh, And uh, I remember thinking, uh, uh, this is probably wrong, but I remember when John Stossel was doing a report uh, and he was referencing a a segment from Bullshit, he didn't call you guys magicians. He called you satirists. And I was like, holy shit, Penn and Teller have made it. They're satirists. (laughs) They're not magicians. Well, John Stossel was, uh, was really funny. He was not only taking premises from bullshit he was actually using the b-roll yeah from bullshit and just doing our show without the obscenity 
It was like, oh, okay, I guess you could do that. But uh, yeah, I have I have one of John Stossel's Emmys in my house. Uh, the uh, uh, friend of mine used to work at Fox Business, and John Stossel is like famously not precious about the awards. And on his way out, my friend was like, "Oh, and I never even got your uh, one of your Emmys." And John Stossel was like, "Here, take this one." And so, uh, uh, being a tremendous fan, you know, John Stossel's programs brought me to a lot of libertarianism mm-hmm. and all that stuff. And uh, uh, this friend stayed for six months uh, in uh, in our artist compound. And uh, on his way out, he uh, he gave me John Stossel's Emmy, and I've I've never been happier. Two weeks later, uh, I'm at the airport, and uh, we're going to Disney. John Stossel's walking down the aisle, and I go, John Stossel, and he's clearly trying to make a beeline to the flight, and he's like, yeah, 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 and I'm like, I have your Emmy, and he slows down just a little bit and nods again in that way. That's yeah, kid. A lot of people have my Emmys, and I say. Andrew Heaton gave it to me and then he stops and turns around and he says, how do you know Andrew? And I, you know, tell him about him. And he's like, can we record a uh, message for Andrew? And uh, I'm like, yeah, sure. Can we do a selfie? I'm like, yeah, great. We do a selfie. And he's like, no, 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 the message for Andrew. And he's like, okay. And so I hit record and uh, John Stossel says, you gave my fucking Emmy away. (laughs) (laughs) We, uh, uh, Glenn has reprimanded me because I was hanging up something in my uh, my apartment in New York, and I wanted to put a nail in the wall, which for me is a very, very big deal. Sure. Uh, putting a nail in a wall is something I've probably been able to do five times in my life, and I did not have a hammer in my apartment, so I used Miami. Of course. And broke it. Oh. And then threw it away. And I was broken. And Glenn has always reprimanded me for that because he wants to have a trophy wall. And I have in my in my home, uh, I won't have anything. I mean, it is um, absolutely filled with Dylan and Tiny Tim and all that kind of stuff. But you could not tell. If you could go through our house with a fine-tooth comb, it would be very hard to tell that Penn and Teller existed on the planet. <laughs> I can't think of an exception of that. Right. Um, you could find, you could, you could probably recreate. I mean, there's original lyrics by Bob Dylan on the wall, and there is a you know twenty-foot picture and huge posters, and there is Tiny Tim's ukulele and his suit. Uh, and all this other stuff up on the walls, and you could find movie posters, and you could find a lot of Sun Ra information. But I don't think you could go through the whole house, even closets and stuff, and find out that there was an act called Penn and Teller. That's probably the healthier way to be, is to focus on your heroes and what you want to be, rather than you know fill yourself with tokens of validation. But uh, but uh, uh, man, well, if you I, walk I'm by my very- dressing room, it's uh, it's Don't Look Back, Bob Dylan. Then it's Tiny. Tim, and then it's George Romero, and then there's Ayn Rand, and then there's my children. But there's aren't any like uh, there's no aristocrats poster in my in my for whatever dress. reason, man. Especially now that I'm not touring so much. Now that we're we're doing more video stuff, uh, because um, when you're touring, you get that instant extroversion. You get everybody greeting you, clapping for you. You know, you're sort of riding this high the whole time. Uh, when you're producing for video, all that kind, you know, especially alone for YouTube, you have to summon that from within. 
And uh, I, I, I find that I need just that little adrenaline boost of this reminder, you know, these these touring posters of like, hey, man, you did this. You you are worthy and so on. I think I do that by just pretending I am Bob Dylan. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Again, probably the healthier attitude. Wow, look at that. <laughs> Boy, Ronaldo and Clara, the four and a half hour version. That was good. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. So, uh, but I, yeah, but I was, you know, that there's, I think there's a, there's, there's just any way you do that is okay. I would go over Lou Reed's house. He'd be playing Lou Reed music. Yeah. Uh, man, that's something I have a harder time doing. I never understood when I was younger, you would mention like you couldn't bring yourself to watch even yourself on whatever appearance. No. Cause it makes you crazy. I never understood that until I started creating enough stuff that I was like, Oh, I get it now. I, 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 I can't look at this. I, I just have yeah, to. It's not even, it's not as simple as you don't like the way you look. You don't like the way you sound. It's just, it's, it's not what you're doing now. It's, you it's, don't want to it's think real about estate that. that doesn't belong in your mind. You, you, you're on to the next thing. About that. I also, uh, I find that my ability to, I believe that how I think I'm coming across and how I'm actually coming across uh, don't overlap very much, but it's okay because it's it's successful enough for me to get by. Right. So what I'm doing when I do, I mean, going way back, what I was doing when I would do a Letterman appearance was not what people thought I was doing, but they kind of liked what they thought I was doing. So it was okay. Right. But if I went back and tried to make what I think I'm doing closer to what I think I'm doing, there's a very good chance people just wouldn't like it. How many, I think maybe all they like, like the Van Gogh story, is what I'm failing at. How many, uh, how many episodes of Penn Sunday School would you listen to before you would quit podcasting forever? <laughs> Half of one. <laughs> But you know what? What really, though, no, you know, as far as you, you know, that I have a huge amount of sadness with show business. Yes, but it's not so much my own stuff as when when I see something that I really don't like, the the, the sadness is is overwhelming. It's crushing, the just completely crushing. Because we all know, you know, uh, bad shows here in Vegas. If I see those, I want to I want to quit show business. It's funny, but something that's fabulous. Uh, inspires me. It doesn't seem hopeless. But, I, I, uh, I'm terrified either way. I I, <laughs> I try not to watch uh, anything except for the Penn and Teller show, <laughs> uh, specifically because if it is truly great, it 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 I, I feel corrupted. I feel like oh now all I'm going to want to do is copy that, and and now I it's like I shouldn't have seen that. And if it's something bad, it is demoralizing. And I, uh, although. At least if I see something bad, I have something angry to be about. Well, you know, Hitchcock Hitchcock said, don't see great movies and say, I want to do that. Right. See bad movies and say, at least I won't do that. Well, and, and yeah. I think there's such important wisdom. Uh, uh, it's a version of something you guys wrote in a Genie article. I think it was you or Teller wrote that um, uh, love very rarely leads to good art. Hate creates great art. And, and I didn't, uh, upon thinking about it, uh, what I took from that is... Look, if you love something, the best you're going to be is a pale imitation of the thing you love. But if you let hate be your muse, then you'll just be the opposite of that, and you will have something completely unique and well, yeah. original. It, well, that's, you know, Gary Panter said, uh, if you don't like supermarket music, for Christ's sake, start making supermarket music, which is, which is another way to look at that. And it's always what bothers me. It's the reason I didn't go into music. You know, it's, uh, very simply, uh, I thought the Velvet Underground... Bob Dylan and Frank Zappa were doing fine jobs. 
and I knew I would never get close to that. Right. Whereas David Copperfield and Doug Henning, that's you know that's 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 in the shallow end of the pool. Right. There's room there. Uh, I'd rather I'd rather compete. Yeah. If I have to, that's why I haven't, with the exception of a few books here and there, I haven't done anything that really deals with sex or love very much because then you're competing with Shakespeare. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, and and uh, you it, know, so fuck that. He's won. It makes me think about uh, the beauty of touring is the ephemeral nature of it. If you have a bad show. Uh, you, you know you're literally skipping town the next day and there'll be a new crowd and you can fix whatever went wrong that first time. I won't make that mis mistake again. And you can forget about that show. Uh, to some degree, uh, you know, we've done uh, Scam School, Scam Nation uh, for uh, what, 12, uh, 13 years now, uh, uh, pretty much weekly. And it's like, it has to push and it doesn't always have to be perfect and I can let things go. Uh, this latest project, uh, the one I'm writing with Justin, World's Greatest Con, is closer to kind of an NPR refined storytelling. It's history's greatest deceptions. So we have to do things like get our facts straight. And, you know, if I'm going to tell a touching story, I got to tell it right and so on. Uh, and as a result, uh, 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 I, I have to listen to it a lot. And it's, it's, it's like girding my loins every time. And I write notes of like, like, hate this part, hate this part, hate this part. And somewhere around the seventh, eighth iteration, I stop finding things to hate. And then it becomes like, yeah, all right, I can live with this, and 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 you're left with something pretty good. Yeah, well, the the thing about live performance, you know, we, we're we have not learned. I mean, people have not learned to to time shift at all. You know, there's there's something wonderful about something existing and then being gone. And uh, uh, I guess we've we've had that in writing for thousands of years now. And then came that Twitter. technology, and then came Twitter, and. Uh, it, it's really weird, but you don't. You, this is something I, I don't think anybody's written much about this. But when you hear a recording from the fifties or sixties, I think there's a chance, and I can't back this up at all. Uh, someone much smarter and much more research would have to do this. But I believe if you take away all the sound quality, all the sound quality, all the recording quality, strip all that away. I believe there is such a change in the way uh, we speak. Um, not even, not even talking about the slang and the word choice or the accents or any of that. I believe there's an actual deep change in the rhythms and sound. Of, I mean, I believe that you could strip out like something from 1963, strip out the accent, strip out the style, strip out everything, and something wouldn't be right now. And the problem with, with Twitter is that you're hearing this stuff out of time. And of course, the people who are uh, punishing those who said something um, five years ago right. that now sounds uh, uh, tone deaf are, are, go are going to be judged by that in five years. And, and I feel like the pendulum's about to sw sw swing back. Uh, Twitter is what happens when you want a chat room, but you only have press releases mm -hmm. that live forever and can be taken out of context. Uh, in fact, uh, if, if you could buy stock in the next big idea, uh, you remember in the 1950s during the Red Menace scare, 
uh, it was so politically charged to talk about McCarthyism that teachers who didn't want to get fired, who didn't want to get accused of anything, they elected to make part of their curriculum to tell a totally unrelated story that definitely did happen, the Salem witch trials. And that's when you get mm -hmm. Arthur Miller's The Crucible yeah. and all that stuff. Um, nowadays, there's a lot of people who don't want to chime in uh, on on public shaming. If you've read uh, John Ronson's book, So You've Been Publicly Shamed. Uh, no, but I, but I read, uh, I read uh, uh, Jonathan Rausch. Oh yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. Uh, but but uh, I, I think we're ready for the conversation, but we're not ready to have it about public shaming and Twitter. So instead, <laughs> I I believe like buy stock in Satanic Panic because that is a totally unrelated, totally true story that uh, 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 that that definitely happened. That is safe for people and this to talk is, about. And this is definitely Satanic Panic. Yeah, it? well, it's it's a purity spiral, and and it's weird to see a purity spiral of uh, from the left, uh, which. Hadn't happened in my lifetime, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. Although it, they, they've been they, they've been going towards it, yeah, we're going towards it for a while. But it, uh, it, it, we, is, it is amazing. We've we've figured out how to uh, how to shame a bad guy, but we've not yet figured out how to accept an apology. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. The idea the idea of redemption is completely gone. And when someone says they're wrong, there's, <laughs> there's this thing when someone apologizes. There are certain people that go, yeah, I'll say. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. They're like, go on. Yeah. You, boy, you really were wrong. And you go, yes, I was, that's what I was saying. Yeah, it was awful. That's what I was saying. Yeah. Um, and we, uh, that kind of thing really lacks a kind of, uh, a kind of grace. But here's the thing that, 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 um, uh, Bob Corn Revere said to me privately the other night that I didn't really, eh, it hadn't struck it hadn't struck me at all. I was on politically incorrect ages ago. Right. And they were talking about how we have to educate um, young people that um, if they send nude pictures of themselves, it could go forever and ruin their lives. Right. And uh, I said, or we could just decide it's not a problem and it's fixed. Right. We could decide. Oh, you sent uh, you sent a picture topless when you were eighteen. Uh, that's none of my business. I don't care at all. Uh, yeah, and I know which timeline we are increasingly living in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and uh, and then Bob said it's exactly the same with cancelization. You know, we can just decide. No, that's not a problem. You said this five years ago on Twitter, and now you don't believe it. I don't care. Well, and I think we're getting closer to that. No, I mean it's not it's not swinging way back, but you know we're we're seeing you know James Gunn. You know, yeah. well it, James it, Gunn. It, what I love about this is when anybody talks about this, they say we're seeing James Gunn, and then that's the end of the list. <laughs> really? You have others? Uh, no. uh, uh, not at the moment, but I do. <laughs> yeah, I, I exactly. Do. <laughs> I, everybody who says James Gunn, I say, well, give me the next four, and they go, well, there's James Gunn. <laughs> Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.
By the way, if you if you yeah, I don't know if you've seen Peacemaker, but it's such a wonderful meta meditation on that. You have uh, 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 Peacemaker is HBO it, show. Yeah, it's a it, based on a uh, he did a, the Suicide Squad, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, he took a bad oh that's right that's evil right, Captain right. America basically who says awful things, but uh, but then you know given a little bit of context, you you know he he becomes more heroic as the series goes on. Uh, but I, I think we're, we're, I don't know, I, I would like to think that we're learning to get trained to that. Uh, but, but that, that whole fame and shame spiral is, um, uh, if I, if I can make this into a plug for the new podcast, please uh, do that. Cause that's, that takes it off my shoulders. I'm not can you make it a plug for ours as well? Yeah, sure. <laughs> so, uh, started doing this series, uh, world's greatest con and season one was all about the, uh, uh operation mincemeat, the allied, uh, effort to essentially con Hitler into in, uh, protecting the wrong coast. Uh, it's going to be a, a Netflix movie pretty soon, but uh, it's astonishing how you wrote the Netflix movie. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, no, we, we, we beat them to the punch. And so, okay. uh, but, uh, but uh, we're going to get to talk to the director, which will be fun. Uh, but uh, it's a, we begin Getting to talk to the directors, not what you should do. <laughs> they should be paying you or something. Getting to talk to the directors. No great, no great thrill. All right. Well, I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll make a note to, to call Glenn and, and yeah. make that happen. Uh, but uh, uh, that whole story was season one, but season two is all about game shows. It's an anthology. And we begin with the question of the 21 scandal. You have 200 people who are going before a federal grand jury. And these are all upstanding individuals. They're active military. They're uh, the clergy. They're school teachers or whatever. And uh, they're all given the same deal. Tell the truth. You walk. Nothing's, nothing's wrong. But if you lie, you are now guilty of perjury and you'll be indicted on federal perjury charges. Uh, the vast majority lie on behalf of saying that they didn't cheat at this at this uh, game show 21 and the uh, the question is why and so well 21 is this is not the pyramid thing uh, uh that had its own separate scandal but this is the one that the movie quiz show was later based on oh i thought they were the same thing yeah a lot a lot, a lot of people do uh the but but in this case i think the reason You're not alone you idiot <laughs> <laughs> uh i think it's the answer is quite simply a stage hypnotist show because a stage hypnotist show begins with somebody with uh, the trappings of authority coming on out on stage. Everything is framed to make him the power in the room. And he makes a promise. Only smart people could be hypnotized. Right. Uh, uh, you will always have self-control. You can always walk away at any moment. I can promise you one thing. What you're about to experience is extraordinary and you will remember it for the rest of your lives. Mm. And now... Uh, I need you to make a decision who here would like to be hypnotized. And then, you know, hands go up, 40 people run to the stage. And that feels like such a small moment, but it's not. It's the entry point of a contract. And now you get everybody up there and he, and he uh, runs them up there. And uh, the verbiage starts off very clearly. I want you to imagine you're very hot. What must it be to be very hot? And of course you are hot. You're under heat lamps. You just did a hundred yard dash. You're up next to all these other sweaty bodies. And so you act hot. You're fanning yourself. You're exercising. He says, okay, okay, calm down. Now, and he, slight change now you're getting cooler and you know what he means it's like okay i was hot now i'm getting cold also you're actually getting cooler your sweat is evaporating and so on and then the language begins to get more and more efficient where he's saying now sleep and you know he means you know get relaxed right. or whatever but then uh at 45 minutes into the show you you're watching him quietly eliminate people now he doesn't call it elimination He's just saying, if I tap you on the shoulder, it didn't work out. But then you get to this moment, 45 minutes into the show, where 
you get a tap on your shoulder. It says, person I'm touching on the shoulder now, only the person I'm touching on the shoulder now, in a moment, you will be Britney Spears. And you have a choice to make. You are mm -hmm. 45 minutes into this show. Uh, we tend to take the easier of two paths. There's the fame. Everything you've done so far has been nothing but pure candy fame. Now you have to decide, do you really want the shame of saying, there's been a wild ride. I'm out of my comfort zone. I'm going to go take a seat. Or do you shut the fuck up and be Britney Spears? And in this case, this is what uh, producer Dan Enright did with everybody on 21 is they played along far enough. They got the contracts. They were too deep in it. It was easier that the easier path was to just keep going and act like they won fair and square. And of course, they all gambled wrong. And the worst part is these 200 people are the ones who had their careers ruined. Charles Van Doren, his obituary was reduced to one line. That guy who cheated on that game show. Mm -hmm. He was part of a prestigious family. All that went out the window. Uh, anyway, so th those are the stories. That's, a, that's the most perfect description of the uh, of a stage hip hypnotism act that I've ever heard. Oh, wonderful! I've heard a lot of them. That's that's really really beautiful. Uh, it well, and 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 it's not to say that there isn't something to hypnosis, and there are people who we tried to do a bullshit show on hypnosis and got you know tripped over our yeah. dicks. So it was very horrible. Few where we just went. I got. We no just idea. failed. We just fucking failed because. We had no idea what we were talking about. Well, and I think, and I think it's because nobody does. Well, exactly, and 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 that's why I try in the podcast to restrict it to we're talking about stage hypnosis, like mm -hmm. I, I ain't yeah, even sure, sure. Start, you know. Uh, but uh, that social pressure is so powerful, so immense, so powerful, and it's so easy, and it also it's what uh, there's something going on there. You know, we see it. You know, actors certainly slip into something. You know? Well, and uh, 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 Robert Cialdini's book in the early 80s, uh, Influence, talks about uh, fixed action patterns. And uh, there are a few things that, as, that our monkey brains can't handle. And one is, uh, uh, number one, we respond to friendliness. You know, if people remember our names and our birthdays and all that stuff, uh, we respond to the trappings of authority. Frank Abagnale figured out that he could pass the most obviously bogus check as long as he was dressed as a pilot or a doctor or a person of authority. There are studies, uh, even jaywalking, if you have somebody cross across the street in work clothes, jaywalking, they count how many people will follow, and then they'll have them in a well-dressed suit, start jaywalking, three times as many people will follow across. So, uh, uh, But the biggest fixed action pattern is our desire for reciprocation. Uh, the best example of that is the Hare Krishnas used to go up and down the street, make, banging drums, making a lot of noise. They attracted a lot of attention, but they never got any donations. And then they figured out, uh, nope, we're just going to go up to you at the airport. We're going to hand you a flower and say, this is a gift. One, one thousand, two, one thousand, three, one thousand. Would you like to make a donation? Mm -hmm. And people would make a donation. They would throw away the flower. They would pick up the flower out of the trash and then go to the next person. We, we hate owing anybody anything. And uh, I think there's a little bit of that happening in a hypnosis show and, and certainly in the world of game shows when, you, when what you need is compliance. Yeah, and you don't want, you don't want uh, you, you know, you, you want it to go well. That's all. You just want it to go well. It's, it, yeah. it's, 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 it's very, very simple in that way. And there's that great Ben Franklin thing. Which, oh, yeah. Uh, which if you want someone who hates you, uh, uh, make them do a favor for you. Or it's the reverse. If somebody already hates you, you that's can go to the person that you that, hate and ask for a favor. Yeah. Because, because that's the other thing that we can't handle is we can't handle being inconsistent. We can't look at our actions right. and say, why did I do that? And right. then we'll say, and in fact, uh, there are, uh, so you, you borrow a very valuable book 
from a guy who hated him. Mm. A really valuable book. He borrowed it from him and then just did nothing with it. Just kept it very, very safe. And then after X amount of time, gave it back. But then the guy could not say to himself, I hate that fucker and I loaned him this book. All right. So the the biggest technique to get someone to turn around on you is not to do something for them, but make them do something for you. Uh, Jonathan Haidt in his book, The Righteous Mind, refers to it as um, the illusion of uh, driving an elephant. You are the person on top of the elephant, and you tell yourself that you are the one telling right. the elephant where to go, but really you're just constantly rationalizing why that's you are the, where you are. That's the Buddhist thing. Yeah, right. The, the, driving the elephant is, is a Buddhist concept. Well, and, and there are split brain analyses where- um, Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's amazing the, studies. The, they'll, uh, they'll show one eye, the, the, the non-linguistic eye, they'll show just random pornography, and then the person will burst out laughing. And they'll say, oh, you found something funny. Uh, what? Why are you laughing? And then they'll come up with a story that is not the real story. They'll say, oh, you egghead scientists and all. It's all so weird. It's just funny as all. Well, I, I believe, and I, I think this is probably a lie, but I believe that I, I'm starting to be able to, and I think this is from a lot of meditation and a lot of reading, I'm starting to be aware that sometimes... I do things before I decide to do them, and then I lie to myself. Yeah. I'm starting to be able to sometimes feel it. Like when I'm getting up in the morning, I'm sitting on the edge of the bed, and there's a four-second window in when I'm going to actually stand up you know, and walk into the bathroom. There's that four-second window. And I'm starting to realize now that I do not ever decide to stand up. Yeah, that's what I, I do. I stand up and then decide what I did. And I think that, I mean, that is probably, I mean, I just, just the other day I was in a discussion with someone and they were saying something very strong about a moral decision they had made. And I went, oh, so for this discussion, we're pretending there's free will? Right, right. <laughs> well, which, which, which bothered me, you know, at the age of 14, but but not at the age of 47, you know? It's, um, uh, you know, I think Sam Harris is 100% right that, that free will is an illusion, that it is a uh, slightly after-the-fact confabulation that and we And you're make. also making it in a very big box that Sam Harris might only be right about this. No, yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Among other things, yeah. But but there's a, like, for me, I'll find myself walking into, or getting up or moving and, and, and I will have the thought, oh, so I guess we're doing this. And I'm like, who's we? Yeah. Like, what, what is happening right now? Yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing how um, the decisions that we're making are all just rationalizations all the time for stuff we've already already done and it seems like you get that uh you get that uh jacked into that in all these kind of decisions if you can just get people to uh, to do that well it's it, what i find so annoying about that stage hypnosis stuff the way we're talking about it seems like it should be an edifying experience but it's really not it's really just slimy. Well, I, I let, let me put a positive spin on it. As entertainers, we've all entered so-called flow state. That mm -hmm. period, like, like uh, do you ever get that show amnesia where it's like you do an entire show and it's over and you can't remember a goddamn thing 
you said the entire time because you were so fully <laughs> present. <laughs> it's not that I'm fully present, <laughs> but yes, but, but, I, I'll say yes to what happened, <laughs> but not to the reason. <laughs> well, my my point is, I think part of the stage hypnosis conundrum is you you take a lot of people who are not accustomed to getting into flow state or doing improv mm -hmm. or being on stage, and they're experiencing essentially something fairly familiar to performers for the first time, and it is the most mysterious. Like, to them, that is hypnosis. It's, it's so mysterious. And I also find, that I've said this a zillion times, we always talk. I mean, every single fucking teacher of improv and acting and everything talks about being in the moment. And that is complete bullshit. Uh, because I find the shows, that I, the shows <laughs> that I do, there have been shows that I do where I am entirely on automatic pilot. I mean, I am thinking about, you know, my laundry and what I'm going to watch on TV, and I believe they're among my best performances. And, and, and I'll say that there have been improv bits on the comedy show that Justin and I do where, where words come out of my mouth, and I'm just like, who was that? You know? I, like, I, I, well, uh, 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 Kevin Pollack, and this is really fascinating in the, um, in the hypnotism thing, when he's doing Albert Brooks, and he does a perfect Albert Brooks impersonation, He's funnier, Albert Brooks, than he can be as himself. And he says he gets better ideas when he's, when he's mapping Albert Brooks. And I've experienced that on, on, on a oh, jag. Oh, definitely, definitely. Just, just, just much better than you actually are. Yeah. Uh, so one quick example of how free will is a total illusion is everybody right now is going to think it's of their own choice that they're opening up their podcast app and subscribing <laughs> to World's Greatest Con. But only after you start listening will you realize you had no choice at all. No choice at all. And you were just digging it. And um, I am going to, we're going to do another whole show okay. with you. And I am going to cut this one just a little bit short because I have to pee. That's the reason. <laughs> that I can relate to. That's the actual reason. Are you deciding you have to pee or are you, just, are you already just going to no, pee? No, no. I have to pee biologically, <laughs> and I'm deciding that this is a reasonable place to stop the podcast, which it's not, but that was Penn Sunday School. That was Penn Sunday School. Cha-cha-cha. And to our listening You become naked. Now, uh, why don't you fill in the two little spaces there, and then you thank people at the end. Who's he pointing at? <laughs> you? Was it me? Was it me? Oh, yeah. Cha-cha-cha. You, uh, you, uh, you become clear naked. your cookies. You become naked. <laughs> Love ya. Have to keep them all. Hey, Matt. Is it time to thank people yet? No, not yet. Uh, you know, Pendulette left the room, and when he did go pee, he peed in what might possibly be the world's greatest John. <laughs> who are you thanking matt it's time to thank the people who support us here on patreon the wrestling independent.com the heartbeat of pro wrestling michael fritz little mandar betsy batter michael o'sullivan danny hagudo does this rag smell like chloroform to you ruse gary cornley chris t Chappy loop oh to hat to to hatchapy chris to hatchapy loop McKinney. There, I finally got it. Eric M. Rain. NewRuleFX.com. Vote for Trump 2024. Sean Nathan P. Steve Feldman. Ulrichy. 
Mike Cavanaugh, Brad Shuriag, Dang Griffith, Soapy Fresh, plus a hundred and ten dollar boner office, Matt Williams, Shane Farah, Ben Price, Average Seal, Peter B. Clark, Jason Andrew Davidson. Thank you so much. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. When you go on holiday, there is no finer achievement than doing absolutely nothing. Nothing on the beach, nothing by the pool. Walking kind of nowhere and chatting about nothing. As an Expedia member, you can save up to 30% when you add a hotel to your flight. So you can have a bit more money to go out there with great ambition to do absolutely nothing. Expedia. Made to travel. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.